0: We'll My name is Emily, and I'm here with my (laughs) co-ghosts, Rob and Noah, and given that today is Halloween Eve, this week's scream, I mean, theme, is (laughs) Halloween. So per usual, we'll start off with an exchange of some factual treats and wrap up with a tricky quiz loosely inspired by the theme. And if you guys want to give us a treat, then give us a review, and five stars preferably, on whatever podcast platform you use. And with that, let's get the switching hour, the really more like 45 minutes, started. (laughs) All right, Rob, what do you got?
1: (laughs) So this week, I learned that the use of the neologism prefix Franken, based on a 200-year-old novel by Mary Shelley from Frankenstein, only came into its own in 1992 in an op-ed bashing the use of GMOs.
0: Hmm. All right.
1: So I think we've all kind of become familiar with this now. Hearing things like, oh, it's a frankenfood, or it's a, a frankenweenie, or all kinds of franken things. I mean, depending how old you are and what movies you watch. <laughs> but the first instance where the use of franken occurred was actually this 1992 op-ed where they were talking about how genetically engineered foods are something strange and unusual, and uh, the, the underlying subtext is bad. And so um, this was written by Paul Lewis, a professor of English at Boston College, And in his professor, um, he said, ever since Mary Shelley's... In in his professor? Yes, no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, also,
2: just like, when I want insight about, about, like, the science of, you know, the food industry, I turn to an English professor. Oh, always. (laughs) (laughs) Who not only combines being uninformed, but also very persuasive about it. (laughs) Like, writes really well on a topic they know nothing about.
1: (laughs) Unfortunately, this this trend has continued. (laughs) But um, taking Professor Paul Lewis's uh, op-ed from 1992, uh, Lewis writes, Ever since Mary Shelley's Baron rolled his improvised human flesh out of the lab, scientists have been bringing such good things to life. Several lines later in the article, after making the reference to Frankenstein, he writes, If they want to sell us frankenfood, perhaps it's time to gather the villagers, light some torches, and head to the castle. Uh, so Lewis makes his point very clear on how he feels about genetically modified foods, um, which is a perhaps uninformed view given a uh, kind of modern consensus of what these foods do and just how important and substantial they are in feeding the world. Um, but this is one of the fear-mongering steps started in the early 90s against GMOs. And the attack on GMOs has continued, and that's an entirely different topic because I'm only interested in the verbal use of the prefix Franken- that kind of got kick started here. And all of a sudden, you started hearing about anything that had any kind of scientific influence being called a Franken fruit, breathing Franken air, drinking Franken water, and the prefix Franken really took on a life of its own. <laughs> 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 I wish
2: that our listeners could see the look that Rob <laughs> had on when he said that.
0: Yeah. He's got it now. <laughs> yes.
2: Welcome to the joke, Emily.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> All right, guys. I'm, uh, I'm coming back to life now. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right.
1: And so <laughs> not only has, has Franken-things really become uh, something that you just see in articles now thrown around. Like, we understand what it means kind of implicitly. And I don't know if we would have. Um, but for the setup and like the, there was a review in 2000 about how Franken words had become this, this whole new part of our lexicon and how the setup was so, so important referencing Shelley and then using the term Franken foods in that very confined context. But ever since then, they've been used really wantonly and kind of all over the place. But, but one thing I remember from my childhood, uh, which predates this usage of Franken, uh, was 1971... I was not there. But this was the year that monster cereals were created. And you might remember the monster cereals include such things as Fruit Brute, Fruit Yummy Mummy. <laughs> Didn't do as well as some of their contemporaries. <laughs> Count Chocula, Booberry, and Frankenberry. Oh. Yeah. And so Frankenberry cereals um, persisted. <laughs> when, looking into Frankenberry cereals and their histories in the 70s, Uh, I came across something that I found absolutely hilarious. But there was a phenomenon in 1972 where Frankenberry cereal included an indigestible pigment. And so these kind of pink-looking Frankenstein cereal parts um, would go entirely through a child's digestive system, and the pigment turned some children's feces pink, a symptom (laughs) sometimes referred to as Frankenberry stool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That uh, sounds pretty alarming. <laughs> like,
1: what's your reaction in like a free google world?
0: Certainly sounds unnatural. Um, so in looking up other uh, Franken-prefixed things, um, I found another Franken-GMO that I thought could be interesting to spotlight. Uh, so there are these things called Enviropigs, or as the media at the time referred to them, Uh, in 2011, Franken-swine. And and they were genetically modified Yorkshire pigs, which is like a very common commercial breed, uh, developed by the University of Guelph. And they were modified um, so that they contained a salivary enzyme that allows them to digest phosphorus, which pigs typically can't digest. So the reasoning for this was that because pigs can't digest phosphorus, they poop it out, which is problematic because when you use pig manure in fertilizer, it can be washed away by the rain as runoff, um and end up in bodies of water where all that phosphorus uh actually promotes the growth of algae, which as you know creates algae blooms mm. and then depletes all the oxygen in the water and kills a bunch of aquatic life. So not ideal. It's a pretty good
1: deal if you're an algae. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They're the other real victims of this whole GMO thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's true. So the cool thing about this is that these phosphorus-digesting pigs could therefore reduce the amount of water pollution and they'd also be less expensive to feed, Um, so that would also reduce the energy requirement for meat production. So, despite the fact that the Department of the Environment uh, of the Canadian government actually approved of these enviro pigs for human consumption, uh, the project unfortunately lost funding in 2012 and all the enviro pigs were killed. Although their genetic material has been stored in case we ever want to reintroduce them, so in other words, the Enviro Piggies never went to the market. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, no. <laughs>
2: Unfortunately, there was too much phosphate in there. Wee, wee, wee.
0: All right, Noah, you're up.
2: This week I learned the Large Hadron Collider at CERN has proved that ghosts don't exist. Oh that's no fun. <laughs> Where you
0: go science.
2: Well that's what science is all about ruining <laughs> everyone's <makes> science
0: fun.
2: <laughs> So according to Professor Brian Cox, professional Killjoy, theoretical <laughs> physicist and home of the science podcast, The Infinite Monkey Cage, if ghosts really existed, then the LHC would have found evidence of them by now. So the problem stems from the second law of thermodynamics, as most problems do. Um, The second law of thermodynamics is the one that states that the total entropy of a system always increases over time. So as usable energy is lost, entropy increases. And unless you put extra energy into the system, that progressive increase in entropy will be irreversible. If energy is necessarily lost within a particular system, say, if that system is doing anything that requires using more of it, such as haunting something or going,
0: ooh. Going back in the night.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That energy (laughs) will just dissipate and won't be able to sustain itself. So essentially, Dr. Cox's point boils down to, if there is some sort of pattern that carries information about us after we die, which can interact with other people or objects, i.e. a ghost, the medium that carries that pattern has to interact with the subatomic particles out of which our bodies and the objects around us are made. So, as Dr. Cox explains... We must, in other words, invent an extension to the standard model of particle physics that has escaped detection of the Large Hadron Collider. That is almost inconceivable at the energy scales typical of the particle interactions present in our bodies and the matter around us. So basically, experiments at the LHC have so thoroughly studied the energy range, or energy regime if you're feeling fancy, um, <laughs> there is a vanishingly small probability that any energy source capable of supporting the existence of ghosts actually exists. However, there is one ghost who physics has proved to exist, and that is Einstein's ghost. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. He's back. (laughs) And he's zanier than ever. Albert Einstein stars in Beetlejuice 2. This one's about the star. Do you guys not know that... There's a star called Beetlejuice. Yeah. Oh, Oh, so it just wasn't that funny. Sorry, Rob. (laughs) Anyway, shaking off Rob's negativity. Um, So, in fact, physicists have proved that Einstein's ghost is real. So what does this mean? Einstein believed that if two objects that are separated in space have some sort of correlation, there must be a reasonable explanation for it. By reasonable, Einstein meant that the objects have physical properties that depend on their position, and that they can somehow exchange information that propagates through space. As a result, they should be able to communicate at speeds at, or slower than, the speed of light. Otherwise, Einstein says, it would be like having, quote, spooky actions at a distance. These hypothetical spooky actions at a distance became known as Einstein's ghost, and scientists have been trying for decades to prove or disprove its existence. However, recently, three independent experiments showed that, in fact, Einstein's ghost is real. When dealing with small things like atoms and photons uh, and their quantum mechanical properties, they interact with each other even if they're separated by large distances and in ways that defy explanations that require information traveling at the speed of light or slower, which I think, we can all agree, is pretty spooky after all. (laughs) Very...
1: Isn't that, there's some science fiction where that's the basis of their communication system. And I want to say that's like the Ender's Game hmm. communication system, hmm. where they basically figured out objects are paired through non, non-transmission. non
2: It's known as entangled.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, and is that electron entanglement? Or like... Sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, so like they, they basically figure out a way where you can like, add a... Uh, transmitter on one end like change something and that will change the quantum state of something and that will be encoded in a message Mm -hmm. but it'll be instantaneously transmitted to somewhere like light years away and received so you can have real-time communication across like deep space so one
2: of the interesting things about this is that it has some cool implications for uh, the development of quantum computing as well as as you've uh, mentioned Um, communication over vast distances, but also, like, completely secure communication that can't be... Mm. um, Basically, that can't be tapped. Because if they did that, it would alter the message that went to the other one.
1: Oh, interesting. Oh, that's really cool. So, in, in trying to find things about this fact. You'd be shocked how many websites that are irreputable have opinions about the existence of ghosts.
2: <laughs> Whoa, would I yeah, should what? I ever?
1: There's they don't want you to know That's <laughs> very informative video series. Yeah. There's also theskeptic.com which which poses the question if ghosts aren't real, how can we see them? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. Isn't the
2: skeptic like exactly how it sounds. So I, I did not read the article. This is just a very, <laughs> very short summary of that.
0: Classic quality fax machine content. <laughs> All right, so we've now arrived at my fact. So I learned this week that, per the ancient Egyptians, there are no female mummies. So hmm. there are no mummy. That was that was really low hanging fruit. I know. All right. So I actually learned about this uh, during a recent visit to the Brooklyn Museum. They have this really cool exhibit. Look at you. (laughs) I'll go into the Brooklyn Museum. (laughs) (laughs) They have this really cool exhibit up right now uh, called A Woman's Afterlife Gender Transformation in Ancient Egypt. And it examines a fascinating element of ancient Egyptian burial tradition that, in part, only came to light upon re examining a supposed anomaly uh, through the lens of feminist scholarship. So, to understand the reasoning behind the burial practice, the center of my fact you got to know a little about ancient Egyptian ideas of creation and recreation. So the ancient Egyptians believed the ability to produce new life and regenerate into the afterlife was exclusive to masculine sexuality. So this applies to their beliefs regarding the creation of the universe, in which the god a tomb asexually reproduced into himself and then all the other gods and everything else um and also to reproduction um as it was thought that men created the fetus and then transferred it to women during intercourse who then just served as protective vessels during pregnancy that's oh. so
2: funny because that actually it reminds me of how in the like the really early days of microscopy um when they were like Ooh, didn't like okay. totally know what the deal it was with like sperm and eggs Early microscopists, some of them, when they looked at uh, sperm down a microscope, claimed that they could see a fully formed microscopic baby inside the head of the sperm. What? Yeah, this was like a, this was like a markers. thing where it's like people like discussed this observation and apparently convinced themselves,
0: <laughs> like, oh yeah, see, he has his father's nose. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> that's wow. That's pretty crazy. My
1: dad was a swimmer too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he's gonna be a navy man seaman, just like his father and his father who came before I, I, I knew this fact would bring in all these jokes and I'm just so pleased well my job is done <laughs> just, no I just ups and leaves yeah, yeah.
0: but this perception of man uh, as the bearers of life, reappears in beliefs about the afterlife, as well. So, as everyone knows, the reasoning for mummifying the dead and surrounding them with all sorts of necessities and trinkets from life is so that they would be nicely preserved and well-equipped to navigate the afterlife. But in order to regenerate and proceed into the afterlife, the Egyptians thought that you needed to first successfully transform into one of the gods associated with creation and rebirth, uh, who were, as you might expect, all dudes. So, Atum, a Osiris, and Rey and then, in the way that I described earlier, produce a fetus and rebirth yourself. So this is easy enough if you're a guy, mummy, because you already have the required equipment. Um, And (laughs) as a side fact, uh, the Egyptians also were known to amputate the hands and genitalia um, when mummifying their enemies to prevent them from rebirthing themselves and then seeking revenge. Mm. So they they thought of everything. But uh, as a lady mummy, You don't quite have the intrinsic ability to transform into one of these gods and regenerate yourself into the afterlife so to circumvent this issue they came up with some creative workarounds so these workarounds uh the coffins of women uh, which were anthropoid meaning that they were human shaped and depicted a likeness of the deceased as you can probably picture just like a sarcophagus uh they were painted with red skin which is a color typically associated with men and were also largely androgynous-looking, with only a few decorative elements to suggest that a female was interred inside. Additionally, the names of the deceased were written as Osiris plus a personal name, so if I were a mummy, I would be Osiris Emily, and funerary spells inscribed on the coffins addressed the interred using male pronouns. Some coffins even have images of Osiris's godly consorts and family drawn on as well, uh, the idea being to create the outward appearance uh, that lady mummies were Osiris. So by conducting these burial preparations and enlisting the assistance of a priest, it was believed that women could briefly metamorphose into a masculine deity just long enough to create a fetus for their own rebirth, and then afterwards revert back and be rebirthed as their female selves. Wow. Yeah. So, as the point of these practices was to trick the gods into thinking that lady mummies were guy mummies, it should come as no surprise that it similarly tricked archaeologists for Hmm. decades.
2: (laughs) Who were probably all men. Exactly!
0: (laughs) And uh, the curator of the Brooklyn Museum exhibit, uh, Edward Blagberg, described in an interview that when he was a student, these observations were explained away as just mistakes um coffins were thought to have been mislabeled for their contents which to me actually seems pretty crazy when you think about it given the level of detail that went into the mummification and burial process like if they're willing to take everyone's organs out and put them in jars then they'd probably be like oh yeah there's a dude in there oh yeah there's a girl in there okay
1: but (laughs) (laughs) they missed the forest for the trees kind of deal (laughs) maybe maybe
0: that could be it but regardless, a cool side effect of this improved understanding is that it's allowed us to revise our record of an ancient culture. So, for example, it's now recognized that a ruler during the first dynasty named Merneith was actually a woman, though for much of history she was thought to be a king. Um, and actually is recorded in the ancient records as such. Um, but then again, so are Hatshepsut and Cleopatra. Um, Though it's still unclear whether she was just a consort to the king or ruled in her own right for a while. Um, If the latter is true, she would be the first female pharaoh and queen regnant, so female monarch, of equal status to a king in recorded history. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So a quote from the curator who I mentioned before, uh, that I think just kind of sums up this idea nicely. Feminism has changed the questions we ask of ancient history as well as the questions we offer. This is a striking example of how feminism has provided a basis for new scholarship that reinterprets an ancient puzzle. So perhaps the spookiest part of this fact is how implicit biases and social constructs constricts the lens through which we may view and understand other cultures and histories. That is uh,
2: spooky.
0: <laughs> right? Keeps me up at night.
1: <laughs> I just kind of marvel at, like, the amount of effort that goes into, like, deceiving your deity. and But that's, like, totally normal. It's like, all right, we're going to trick all of the gods that made us and give us everything we need just so you can get into the afterlife. But shh. Like don't let
0: them know. Yeah, and
1: also, what like, like, the
2: gods like, they really do know, and they're just like, okay, <laughs> like, oh, you, come on you in, dude. You, you that silly is Bartles. your real name. That's yeah. so cute.
0: Well, it's kind of conflicting, right? Because they're seen as and worship as omnipotent, but there's still this, you know, coexists idea of, but we can trick them if we just do this. I don't know.
2: So uh, there's a recent example of a female mummy was that in the 2017 movie starring Tom Cruise the mummy
1: uh where
2: this i mean you know not to spoil anything but there's a mummy and she's basically (laughs) alive and evil and basically just wrecks everyone's day um (laughs) and uh this is not a good movie um i mean she
0: was probably miffed that people thought she was a guy like (laughs) i don't blame her (laughs) that
2: would set me off yeah um so there's a pretty good uh um, there's a pretty good review of it on IndieWire. Uh, it says The Mummy is the worst Tom Cruise movie ever. And not only is it the worst movie Tom Cruise has ever made, it's also obviously the worst movie that Tom Cruise has ever made. It stands out like a flat note on a grand piano. Um, <laughs> it's an irredeemable disaster from start to finish. These men work with the US Army in some unclear capacity but really they're treasure hunters and they're about to stumble onto the find of a lifetime as a firefight with Iraqi insurgents reveals a massive sinkhole beneath the sand. There 1,000 miles away from Egypt, they stumble across a sarcophagus that's swamped in both mercury and spiders.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Archaeologist,
2: romantic interest Ginny Halsey tells Nick that this is bad, but spoiler alert
1: it turns out that it's actually really bad. (laughs) So, I have a fact about a relatively recent female mummy in pop culture, I suppose, or popular culture. Mm. Um, Relatively recent in terms to uh, your mummies, Emily, but, like, much older than the one Noah just mentioned. This is um, the story of Argentinian leader Eva Perón, who is a a definitively female mummy. Um, Hmm. And so, uh, one thing I didn't know until uh, a short while ago was that Eva Perón wanted to be mummified and preserved so that her body could remain. Um, And it did. It was mummified and embalmed, and the corpse was kind of put on display as something that could be adored by Peronists and fans of hers until it disappeared um, three years after her death. And it went on an international world tour, kind of being hidden, um, smuggled across borders, temporarily buried under the guise of the Vatican under a fake name. Um until it made its way back to Argentina um like some sixty years later, I believe oh wow um and this just amazing story of the individual um, who had to restore the body for a show um so there's a man named Domingo Tchea who had a worldwide reputation for the restoration of art, antiques, and human remains um and so Yeesh. his yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he puts that on, like, the sign hanging at the end of his driveway. That's, like, restoration of, like, upholstery and (laughs) faces. (laughs)
0: Specialties.
1: (laughs) But so he received this, like, much-traveled mummy of Eva Perón. And his job was, like, make it so that we can, like, put this out in public. Uh, And so this was in the 1970s when Argentina was still in turmoil. And, like, the anti Peronist movement was still very, very strong And so he had, like, the entire time the fear that, like, while he was doing this restoration work, he would disappear, which is a spooky way of saying be murdered. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, he did all this work in the early 70s. And then another military coup happened in Argentina and many people, quote, disappeared. Um, So this guy, Teleche, who had spent all this time restoring the mummy of Eva Perón. Um, went into exile and actually never went back to Argentina Wow! Mm -hmm. and he continued his career elsewhere as an art restorer Um, but he may not have done any more uh, post-mortem work Uh, but just kind of this amazing story of like the world's most famous modern mummy and like how it moved around the world and then like was called upon to be like touched up a little bit before it came home Uh, so spooky yeah very
0: (laughs) morbid definitely in in the spirit of things (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, So I kind of just, branching off of my fact, just kept reading about mummies because, again, this is how I spend my time. Um, And I looked into Egyptomania, uh, as you would imagine. So that was huge uh, in the 19th century. Basically, uh, after a bunch of wealthy Europeans traveled to Egypt and snagged mummies as souvenirs because that was apparently a pastime. What I didn't know is that they would do all sorts of strange things with them. Um, So just a few examples... Uh, mummies were at the time ground up uh, as medicine, uh, both topical and oral. So feel free to barf. Wow. Um, they'd also sometimes be ground up into paint. Um, yeah,
2: it's called mummy brown. Yeah, which I think <laughs> what? Yeah, it's called <laughs> mummy brown. It's a pigment, um, and I think that sounds like a sitcom. Like mummy <laughs> brown.
0: It's a Murphy Brown spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. It's a it's a revival. <laughs> nice.
2: I really like that. Is that no, they, yeah. People liked the color that ground up mummies made, <laughs> <laughs> and so they used it. it Unlike anything else. <laughs> yeah. It was like it was used in a lot of paintings in like the 19th century.
1: There's a really weird thing I saw yesterday, which is there's a guitar maker in New York. This is so off topic, sorry. But there's yeah, a guitar yeah. maker in New York who makes all of his guitars out of like torn down New York buildings. Huh. Oh, that's and it's cool. because it's all like big thick like strong woods of the northeast that mm. have been sitting in buildings for 100 or 200 years even in New York. Yeah. And it's dried out the wood and aged it in such a way that he thinks it's extremely resonant. Wow. And so he says his guitars are superior to any other because they were like massive trees that became like buildings Garbage. in New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Garbage>. <laughs> but like that's crazy. <laughs> But he has this markup where he has a West Village shop and he builds them by hand and he tells you what building it's from. And some of them are like landmark buildings that have been torn down.
0: That's extremely cool. Yeah.
2: I mean, it'd be cool if there was like one from each building, but there's probably like a lot
1: of wood from those buildings. (laughs) (laughs) At least several, yeah. (laughs) They're
0: not as unique as they could be.
1: Yeah, but it it sounds like he sneaks in and steals the wood though. Oh. So it kind of limits the amount of wood there is. Not unlike the
2: rich Europeans that Emily was just talking about. Hey, Emily, yeah, want to get back to that? Sure.
0: So, I mentioned they did a bunch of weird things, mummies. The weirdest one that I encountered, so brace yourselves, mummy unrolling parties were things. Oh, that's so gross. Yeah. Yep. And they were exactly what they sound like. Um, I'm, I'm just
1: imagining the Tasmanian devil. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just like, he is on one end and he goes.
0: <laughs> Spin and spin and spin and yeah, spin.
2: I'm sure that it happened. I, I was imagining Ooh. what that would be like today, where they have like those YouTube channels who like unbox things. Oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh and I would give for to see like a museum curator be, curator be like, all right, guys, so check out my haul for today. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But yes, this was an actual thing that happened. Mostly it was limited to more scholarly and wealthy crowds. Uh, actually, my favorite thing that I found as an example of this, um, an excerpt from a party invite by an aristocrat named Lord Londonsboro. Uh, he promised a gathering wherein a mummy from Thebes would be enrolled at half past two. Hmm. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Why is that the funniest part of
1: that?
0: <laughs> because it's just, so, <laughs> it's just so
1: formal. Who unwraps a mummy in the middle of the afternoon? That's just absurd. <laughs> you know one of those 2.30 mummies. <laughs>
0: So the practice of mummy unrolling was popularized in England actually by this surgeon slash entertainer named Thomas Pettigrew, who held this as uh, sort of like a public event and lecture. Um, And he became so well known for his mummy expertise that Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. Actually, it's not the same one, but I really oh, wish man. it was. Oh, <laughs> but not that uh, Alexander, Alexander Hamilton, Hamilton the tenth Duke of Hamilton, arranged to have Pettigrew mummify him, wow. strictly adhering to ancient Egyptian traditions, <clears throat> um, and he was also interred in a sarcophagus, an Egyptian sarcophagus. Hmm. So, yeah. Anyways, Victorian people were weird. So we've reached the quiz portion of this episode. So since we've turned our attentions to all things ghastly and ghoulish, this week's quiz will focus on various Halloween tropes, including creepy creatures, terrifying tales, and generally anything that goes bump in the night, through their representations in pop culture.
2: Hmm.
0: Interesting.
2: I think we got this, Rob. You know why? Yes. I am afraid of no host. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who are you going to call? All right. So question one. Per a popular AMC show, what has regional monikers such as Creepers, Lame Brains, and Rotters?
2: Oh, well, that would be Zombies, or The Walking Dead. Yep. Nice.
0: Yeah. So referred to as Walkers by Rick and his crew. Um, But as a very tangential fun fact, Lame Brained was actually popularized as a term in the English lexicon by P.G. Woodhouse of Jeeves and Worcester fame, Um, and some additional gems uh, that he lent us, which Uh, feel free to use these, you know, next time you just want to describe your state of inebriation. Wash, boiled, fried, lathered, illuminated, oiled, ossified, pie-eyed, polluted, primed, scrooched, stinko, squiffy, tanked, and woozled. Mm -hmm. Wow. So drunk is just too boring. I'd rather be woozled. (laughs) Question two. (laughs) We're all on our way. (laughs) Making progress. Question two. In a classic story from American literature, what Halloween staple is found shattered on the ground next to a schoolmaster's hat?
1: I'm thinking that would have to be a pumpkin. Pumpkin, yeah, it yeah. seems right. Yeah, pumpkin Iron or, or the... jack-o'-lantern. Uh, for, ooh, for, more yeah, exactly. Legend of right. Sleepy Hollow.
0: Oh. Yeah, that is a moment of reckoning that poor Ichabod Crane is no more. Oh, yeah. So question three. What company's mascot, named Ghostface Chilla... Inspired by Ghostface Killa of the Wu Tang Clan, was chosen to reflect the impermanent More like nature the of the Wu
2: Tang Clan.
0: Hey, hey. I just the
2: wall. I'm so sorry hey. to interrupt.
0: <laughs> no, no, don't apologize. Uh, but this mascot was chosen to reflect the impermanent nature of its product. So, what's the company?
2: Ghostface Chilla. So yeah. it's something frozen that, that could ghosty melt. Ghosty kind of mascot. So it, it would melt. So maybe like an ice cream. It's a food, right? It's not a food. Did you not say that? Okay. No. (laughs) All right, so it's not a food. It's something that's impermanent. Okay, so it's impermanent, something about Halloween, but it was the Halloween aspect of the ghost part. And it's a chilla. All right, I don't don't think we know. No? We're we're giving us enough.
0: Okay, so the mascot itself is a ghost, and the company's product is an app. Oh, it's Snapchat. Yes. Oh, Oh, Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, before it was called Snapchat, it had an even ghostlier name, which was Peekaboo. Okay, question four. What Frankenstein inspired film has earned more than $140 million at the box office, almost all of it in the years following its release in 1975?
2: And it's, it wouldn't be like some iteration of Frankenstein movies. No. So it's not like Young Frankenstein it's, or Bride of Frankenstein. Frankenstein is not in the title. Okay. It's inspired uh, in the sense that they reanimate something dead. Mm-hmm. Okay, weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> <laughs> He's
0: not reanimated. <laughs> so the key hint in this question is that almost all of the profits were reaped in the years following its release. So it was not popular when it first came out. But it's so become... Ill, it,
2: it didn't. It didn't get it that year.
0: No, it, it was not. It, it, it fl- didn't. It didn't it did any m- make any money that year. Right? Exactly, okay.
1: 1975.
0: It flopped when it first came out, but That's... since then has made a lot of money. Flopped when it just came out. So. What are you doing?
1: <laughs> oh, wait, is it, is it Rocky Horror? Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. What? Rocky Horror Picture oh, Rocky Horror. I was doing the I don't really shows. know anything about that. <laughs> and I, I feel like in my, in my high school, people were like obsessed with it. And I, I don't know if maybe I was aware of it mostly because like at my high school, the cool kids were like the theater kids. Like, Mm -hmm. like for real. Like they were, they like bullied me. (laughs) (laughs) Measure of coolness. (laughs) Shoved in a locker by like Hamlet. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Um, But I do remember that, and they may have even like done Rocky Horror or something.
0: I, my, uh, in undergrad, an early undergrad, my friends and I had an, uh, a Rocky Horror phase of like going to the midnight screenings and it's a good time. But yeah, so yeah, it's Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, it's also run continuously in theaters longer than any other movie in history, Whoa. which is not bad for a film described as tasteless, plotless, and pointless by Newsweek when it first came out. <laughs> Question five. What term is used in reference to a communication breakdown, and in the sitcom community, an annoying pottery making habit? So kind of an obscure it's a, reference. It's a word
2: that references. Well, I don't know community well enough to get that. Okay. A, a communication so, breakdown. Yeah. Yes.
0: So it's a very modern term.
2: I bet that's going to be kind of an obscure term too. That you like mainly got because it was from community. Is, is it like- <laughs> it's, it's a
0: very, it's a very common term. Oh, is it. it? Okay. It's it's a it's come with the advent of of technology and texting
1: Is it um, a dead zone? Oh, no. that's interesting. Is it, like, ghosting someone? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, nice. Precisely. Great.
0: Yeah, so exactly. Ghosting, like, you know, someone ending a conversation fading away. In the show, there's a gag in one of the episodes where uh, the characters are in a pottery-making class, and the instructor yells, no ghosting, in reference to the (laughs) iconic scene from the film Ghost, starring Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore. (laughs) That's so funny. So it's pretty great.
2: (laughs) You know what? Everyone forgets about Whoopi Goldberg in that scene.
0: It was... (laughs) And whoopee, I am so sorry. (laughs) Very nice. Question six. What supernatural beings, according to an acclaimed children's book author, always wear gloves, have blue spit, and are, in quotes, bald as a boiled egg, which they conceal with wigs?
2: They they always always wear gloves, gloves. they have blue spit, and they're concealed with wigs. And it's a children's book author. And so it's what supernatural being. Is that all the words you just said? Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not in quite the right order, but you have the idea.
1: Okay. So who spits blue? I'll
0: give you a hint. Um, I'll point you towards the author. Same person as James and the Giant Peach.
1: Okay. Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so his supernatural things. Um, I don't really know that much about Roald Dahl. I, um, I know the Willy Wonka series, and then James and the Giant Peach, and then there must be another one about witches?
2: Yes! Oh, witches! Yeah, the right? The
1: witches. That's right. Okay. Yeah. What's the book? I can't remember. It's, the it's called the witches. Witches, or... it's yeah. witches. It's just Witches. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. That seems like such a witch thing, where it's like, I... spit! It looks blue! And then, like, you're done.
2: Yeah, but I actually, I think I read that, I remember that being
1: incredibly
2: disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, like, I remember it was just sort of like recommended. I must have been in like, shoot, like first or second grade. I was given that book and I, you know, I read it and like, I remember it was very scary. Because this is the book where like, the, it's like the, this kid finds himself tell like a witch convention or something. And then he's like, oh my God, there are witches everywhere. This is terrifying. And he has to like how to hide from them. Yeah. That's the main part. of it. them. Yeah. yeah. and they really like scary. Killed children. Yeah. Yeah. But it's really, oh, wow. <laughs> it's yeah. a great book
0: though. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it is pretty scary. Um, all right, question seven. In a 1978 Warren Zevon song, what supernatural creature is spotted walking through Soho in the rain and drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's? Well,
1: werewolves of London. Yes!
0: Yeah. Very nice.
2: Right <laughs> over my head. I didn't know
1: Rob any was of right the words. I was, I was in it. it.
0: Was Ooh, in of it. Warren
1: Zevon, and you might talk about this for a second, was just an absolute character a oh, musician. no. He held uh, some kind of parliamentary seat in England. No okay. kidding. And he wrote this, like, just kind of off-the-wall, like, I don't even know what you would call it, like, cult-following, like, weird pop song. It's uh, it's like an American werewolf in London, like, but almost in a cartoonized, like, narrative song. Yeah. And it's it's just so It's just goofy. him
0: going about and having great hair, and mm-hmm. it's... It's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a great song.
2: You know, another person uh, who was just an interesting person who happened to hold a seat in parliament at some time was Isaac Newton. Um, And his only ever recorded um, speech was to ask the usher to close a window because it was too chilly. Wow. Ocean.
0: (laughs) All right, question eight. What film adaptation of Dracula, released in 1922, established the trope that vampires combust when exposed to direct sunlight.
1: So you said it was a spoof of Dracula?
0: Uh, it was uh, an adaptation, but as a, as a hint, not like a not a verified adaptation. Like, the character's name is not Count Dracula, it's actually Count Orlok, so it's kind of a rip-off. And vampires aren't called vampires, they're actually called something else, which is the mm. title of the movie.
2: Is it Bram Stoker's Twilight? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Nope. If uh if imagery helps, so have you guys seen what we do in the shadows? Gross. I try to totally. <laughs> <laughs> And also okay. just
2: not not to criticize your hosting, but you're asking questions about a silent movie and you're asking if imagery helps. <laughs>
0: it's
2: literally the only thing that matters. Well, okay, fine.
0: But well in that movie, which is great by the way, if you haven't seen it. Um, The character of Peter, which is, like, the 8,000-year-old, like, antisocial, super pale vampire that, like, chills in the basement the whole time, is based on the main character from this film. Like, his, his appearance is, like... The interpretation of a vampire from this film
1: so i guess is the is the name we're looking for like kind of a slang or another term for a vampire
0: yeah uh, it is but like it's not one that you would know offhand
1: oh good like, people,
0: don't <laughs> <laughs> people don't go around being like oh look it's a blood-sucking blink.
2: uh okay i don't think
0: we know what is it okay yeah so it's Nosferatu. Oh, oh That oh, rings a bell. Yeah. yeah. But yes, in the original uh, novel by Bram Stoker, it's written that sunlight can weaken vampires, but doesn't kill them. Whereas in Nosferatu, that trait was incorporated into the film to make for a dramatic climax, wherein Nosferatu is lured into a room with sunlight and then combusts. Kaboom. All right, well, that was the quiz. I'm hoping you guys can... Uh, can sleep at night after <laughs> how, I don't know, terrifying it was. I think I'm out of Halloween puns. Sorry. I'm
1: sufficiently spooked.
0: There we go. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fax Machine. And remember, be sure to check out our Twitter and Instagram accounts at Fax Machine Pod, and also our Facebook at Fax Machine Podcast. And remember, give us a little treat, drop us a few ratings, <laughs> and be sure to have a very happy Halloween. We'll see you guys next time. And if you guys want to give us a treat, which we'd love, because we love, nope, nope, nope. We love those sweet, sweet (laughs) treats. We love those (laughs) treats. No, no, no. Okay. (laughs) I should never improvise.